Hello everyone and welcome to this mid-race edition of the Wing It F1 podcast. Just two of us again today, uh, myself Freddie Coates and I'm joined with Mr Nigel Chu. How are you doing mate? I'm doing pretty good, yeah. I'm doing alright considering there's no F1 for once this weekend but lots of other stuff going on as we like mentioned so yeah I'm, I'm pretty yeah. good. No Adam Dickinson again. Um, he's, he's still on his staycation, um, which is fun, I guess. Nice for some. So we're not going to dwell on that too much because we're envious. Anyway, um, so we're going to go straight into it and go straight into the, the fallout from last week's Spanish Grand Prix. And there's, there's a hell of a, an influx of topics that have suddenly popped up this week. I mean, you'd think it'd be a slow news week, but it's not really been when you look into it. And I think something I, we didn't brush on really uh, at the, um, in our review podcast for Spain was Charles Leclerc's incident and sort of the, what happened after that, which was that he got started again and he did a couple of laps before he came into the pits because his seatbelts were undone. And he was then, you know, way far back, so he didn't carry on. But that seemed a pretty major breach of any regulation. Yeah, 100%. That, I mean, for me, how he's, nothing has been said or how he's got away with it, I have no idea. Because imagine if imagine if the engine cut out again and he's not got a seatbelt. He's going to get thrown forward. And that could have really hurt himself or if something else broke on the car or or say if his engine cut out and then a car hits him, whatever. Then mm. it could have been serious, serious consequences. So... It's pretty stupid from Leclerc, I think, to because he did two laps, didn't he? Not just one. I think he did two. I have no idea why. Well, yeah, where, so, where he where he parked up, he um, I thought he was beached actually, but he wasn't. Um, it, he could have gone straight into the pits anyway from there. They have fun, fancy yeah. bollard rules, which um, people have fallen foul of in the past there. But he was fine to go straight into the pits. But obviously, Ferrari thought just do a sighter, so he did that. And then rather mm. sheepishly sort of then admitted, I think, to having undone his seatbelts. I don't yeah. think he told the team initially and they assumed he had left his seatbelts on when he tried the engine. And I had no idea that he was ready, you know, he was he had sort of given up. But he had, I think. Yeah, yeah and then, personally, I, I think he should have been given a, a penalty. I'd even go as far as a grid penalty or something. At least yeah. some license points and a massive fine. Because that's just, it's so silly. I don't know. I just find it bizarre, really. Ferrari get off lightly with these kind of things. They got a fine for an unsafe <laughs> release in Hockenheim, I think, last year as well, which is pretty um, <laughs> scraping the barrel for politeness to Ferrari. Um, I think it's, yeah, I think you're right. You'd expect there to be a very harsh penalty. And I don't know whether it has been internally referred to the stewards of Spa, um, which is a possibility, but. You'd have thought there'd been at least a press release about that. Yeah, it'll just get brushed over, but as many things do in F1, I think, and everyone will forget by by the weekend. So, yeah, yeah why nothing was said, I really don't know. And I, I think on the fast stop he did, he did a one twenty four or something. That was really that's really quick with no seatbelts. The fastest yeah. lap of the race was a one. I don't know what the fastest lap of the race was, but. 
yeah, one twenty four is still pretty quick. It's faster than F two. Yeah, you'd rather you drive properly though. You keep the car working at least. You don't want yeah. the tires to suddenly snap off. At least sometimes that can really happen if you're doing if you're going a bit more tentatively or a bit half speed, especially on old tires. But yeah. I think that's clutching at straws in defence. The things I hate I hate about this is that the FIA will only do something once something really bad has happened. They need to clamp down on it now when they, when, they, when we've had these warning signs. We've seen it, you know, before with drivers speeding past yellow flags and you know tractors by the start and no safety car like the stuff like that. And then, you know, unfortunately, we, we do see the consequences one day. So, if they, they really need to clamp down on this sort of thing, just so that in the future. You know, another driver decides, oh, well, we're cleared it, so I'm going to do another couple of laps without, with loose or unfastened seatbelts, whatever. And then, you know, if something happens, um, it could be horrible. So they need to clamp down on it now. They probably won't, which is very silly. And, yeah, it's just, there's so much wrong, so much wrong with it, really. It's not really something you'd say that there needs to be a clamp down on, though. Mm, it's yeah. common sense and for for a series I mean I, I'm surprised there's not been more from Jean Todd because he's so influential with road safety and they're so so well, I don't want to say forward thinking but they're so prior, they prioritise road safety at the front of all of these campaigns I think I don't know if it still does but on a lot of the cars it just says FIA action for road safety on bits of the car I think it did in the past at least on some of them and that's like this is just completely complete flagrant disregard of that. Mm, yeah. I think just to put into perspective, anyone who's drove a car, if you're doing thirty miles an hour without a seatbelt and you have an incident, it, you can get injured. And I know I think guys are much safer than normal road cars, but imagine doing you know, 186 times the speed. It's just I don't even want to think about it really. It's just it's front awful, front, awful. The front of a halo is much worse than an airbag. Yeah. <laughs> but speaking of clamping down, there was also another incident in practice for the Spanish Grand Prix, free practice three towards the end, pretty much it, it, it did close off the session, was um, Espan Ocon um, coming up behind Kevin Magnussen after having let him go past. And then he stopped, sort of slowed in front of him. And then Ocon didn't notice that and then had to overcorrect into the wall. And do we think there needs to be something like a minimum lap speed, even on a cool down lap, just to make sure that cars are going fast enough that this kind of thing wouldn't happen? Because this was just a case of cars tripping up over each other, one going really slowly, one going medium speed, and one coming up behind on a fast lap. Yeah, I think with that case, it's nothing really to do with the, with the minimum speed needed. I think it was just a bit of a weird incident where, like you said, the Williams was coming up behind and Magnussen saw it, so he slowed up. But I don't think Ocon did see it. Maybe Ocon did see it, so Ocon he did had to get it, out of the way. Think, I don't think he did see Magnussen slow so much. Yeah. He was looking in so, his mirrors, not in front of him, and then Magnussen just came up right in front of him. They're both on the same offline line, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And it, yeah, he was looking in his mirrors, which is the right thing to do. But it was like he was just looking at his phone or something. <laughs> I mean, I, I think for that one it was Ocon's fault, but I'm not sure 
that incident itself has anything to do with minimum speed because if there's a car coming up behind you fast and you're going to get out of the way anyway I would yeah. suggest like, point, I yeah. think yeah we've seen you know not just at Spain but at Silverstone as well everyone crawling round and I think you're right some of should be done uh, with a minimum no it should be maximum lap time shouldn't it not minimum <laughs> we should yeah, think about yeah, it right. yeah <laughs> maximum lap time yeah minimum, uh, minimum speed, speed no. maximum yes. lap time yeah there we go. shouldn't <laughs> yeah. have a shouldn't have a um, I don't know <laughs> yeah like a 120% lap time yes yeah I think yeah that kind of rule especially with high speed circuits called up Spa Monza Mugello I think some rules should come into force before again some kind of nasty incident happens. I mean, we saw in Baku, I think 2018, with the two Toy Rossos, I think it was Brendan Hartley yeah. and Pierre Gasly. One of them was, I think it was Gasly who was going really slow, and then Hartley comes, might, might be the way around, Hartley comes behind him and nearly launched into him. So we don't really want to be seeing that kind of thing. Particularly at that corner was. Um... Is one of the ones in Baku, which is really fast coming into it. Heavy braking, <laughs> no runoff, no runoff whatsoever. If you're going to have a crash there, pretty terrifying, I think. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, there's um, there's more to be done on that. That's that's at least getting discussed quite a lot in um, various media circles, I think. So that mm. that's at least where attention can be picked up from for that kind of thing so something can be done at least it's got the not just got the attention of the twitter sphere it's got the attention of the paddock for that the the only thing i want to say with that is that i wouldn't do it for the whole lap because you might get drivers going really fast through sector one and two but then they might just slope even more in the final sector so you're just moving you're moving the other you're moving the problem to one part of the circuit which is just as bad so i think for me if i was the fia i would have 110 or 120 percent for each sector, and they've even got mini sectors that can do that as well. But uh, yeah, are... I think they just have to be careful that they don't move the problem from the whole track to one part of the track. There are various complications though, which is like blue flags come into it as well. And it's like, is there a force majeure rule that comes into it? That would just make a lot of work for stewards at the end of the day. And they say, on paper, you got this rule wrong, but we're going to enact this, then it would be knowing the bureaucracy of this kind of situation, they would have to then issue a, um, a statement saying it's actually, uh, this bit was fine, this bit was fine, this bit was fine at 1519, at 1522, at 1536, this 1554, all of this, all of these little details were fine. A bit like how they got to then, if a car doesn't set a lap time in qualifying, they've got to say it was it set representative pace in a practice yeah. session, so it should be fine. It's all that touch of bureaucracy which would become a bit hefty after a bit mm. and I think it would anyway sort of go under the radar and get mm. quietly shuffled away after a year or two anyway though like yeah I've got I've got a question why do we only see this in F1 because in other racing series you don't really see drivers crawling around this this slow really I find it is it the tires are they really the tires. that it's the the tires just require such weird operation, such weird. Mm. They're so malleable with their um, with their operating temperatures and their pressures and yeah. so on that um, they're really hard tires for racing cars, and that they need to be so that they don't um, degrade uncontrollably. Mm. 
because of how they've been made. And mm. like, that's a bit, it doesn't, it, yeah, they have to be really managed by the teams in such a way that yeah. they need to take no energy out of them unless they're on the flying lap. And even on the flying lap, they've got to manage the tyres. Yeah, and we, we haven't, this is a thing that's only happened in the last three or four years. I think back to the Bridgestone days, or even the early Pirelli days when they had really hard tyre tire degradation. I don't recall drivers crawling round this slowly, so it's really weird how the tyres work with the pressures and that kind of thing. I think the, um, the three-tyre compound rule has sort of helped that, in that yeah. there is a bigger gap between the hardest and softest tyre. And we did see it at some 2018 events when they had stellar hypersoft and ultrasoft and stuff. You'd have ultrasoft and you'd skip the supersoft and go straight to the soft and medium or something. And yeah. um, that became an even bigger sort of difference. And I, I quite like that. I thought that was quite fun for a race. I like it as well. But it, and it, it's quite old school to have a quality tyre. Um, but it does just, yeah, there's, it's not a, the only quick answer is to sort of mediate the lap times, frankly. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with that. Yeah, it, it will be, be interesting to see if they actually do it. Yeah, yeah. and um, another bit of news that has been announced recently is a, news that, a, news, a piece of news that has really sort of been very positive and been very well received by the F1 community, and that is the announcement of a new ownership for Williams. Woohoo. Yeah, we have um we have financial advisors have announced that they have sold the company to Doralton Capital, which is a um how would you how would you how would you put it? It's a capital investment, firm. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's capital investment. It is capital investment that's from the United States of America, which was not that accent. Um, so yeah what do you think of all of that pretty positive they've got sold they only announced they're up for sale two or three months ago so not bad mm, I think it is positive but <laughs> me being me the only thing I'll question is you know it's a capital investment company mm-hmm. and it's a bit unusual for that type, that type of company to invest in an F1 team and, mm. and I just I would, I'd, I'd hope that this Doral, how do you pronounce it? Doral to Capital, whatever. Yeah, and I, I hope that they're not in it for the short term. They in, so say they invest lots of money, and then if Williams don't move up the grid, they'll just pull out after the two or three years, and then Williams will end up with a worse deal or something. So, so the good that Williams have got investment, hopefully it'll push them up, up the grid. But if it doesn't, I do fear that this company might do a quick sell in, in two yeah. or three years' time. That's my only only worry, I'd say. And then, you know, Williams could be in deep, deep trouble if well, that are, happens. There are two points that I would sort of raise to that, and that is um, what the um, chairman of the company did say in the press release, which was, um, we're delighted to have invested in Williams and we're extremely excited, Daily Tart. We believe we'd be the ideal partner for the company due to our flexible and patient investment style which will allow the team to focus on its objective of returning to the front of the grid. We look forward to working with the team in carrying out a detailed review of the business to determine in which areas new investments should be directed. We also recognise the world-class facilities at Grove and confirm there are no plans to relocate. 
Um, so what they say there is that they're, you know, they're um, committed to sort of turning around the business. It doesn't say that they'll stay there for ages once they've turned it around and yeah. maybe even made it. it. It is just an investment opportunity. It's buying something. It's, it's like property. It's buying, mm. buying a bit of land that you can then do up make it good and sell on for more and that's yeah. what they're looking to do so they bought it they're going to put their all into it to make it perfect get it to the front of the grid or make it a, a viable purchasing opportunity in formula one and then sell it and but mm. they are still the commitment is sort of is there and the commitment yeah. is also backed up by the fact that they have just they have announced this just as the concord agreement has been announced as well so that's a five-year commitment still from Doralton Capital that they will be very well aware of because this is the kind of thing that they would specialize in mm, yeah. covenants with managing boards and so on. Yeah. I, I think if I was Williams, I would have gone down to, I would have, tr I, this might be a bit bored, but I will, I would have gone down the B team route, like try and be a Mercedes or Renault B team, like has not has to do. I think, I think that would have worked a lot better. Personally. Probably would have done, but they're very obviously yeah. not not for that. I think the only re I think lots of teams have their pride and lots of them are B teams purely because they're they're B teams by convenience. And I think Williams will only be a B team by convenience if this goes even worse. Mm. Yeah. Even Sauber, um Alfa Romeo now is you look at it as sort of a prime B team, but I mean, it still did its own operations and so on. But like yeah. before, before they became Alfa Romeo, they were signing with Honda. They were jettisoning their um, gearbox deals as well, I think, with whoever they had those with because of that. I think it might have been, they might have got a gearbox deal with McLaren. I'm not sure. Some weird thing like that that was mm. all then going to end up having to be done in-house in a, in a car that, in a team that was sort of really low on money. So that, that was obviously the pride of that was still there. And the pride is, is still there with Haas, who sort of, you see a lot of things in Gene Haas about how he wants to be in it to compete. And currently the best way for him to compete is with a BT model. But I think at the end of the day, if, he, if they could sort of do their own operation, I think they would. So. What, you mean Haas, you mean? Yeah. Hmm. I think if they find out, if it was financially viable for them to sort of, you know, make their own I think with the current state of F1, I don't think it's possible to do it. Yeah, and that's the thing. That's the current so, state of F1, and that's 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 why I just fear with Williams that they'll never get that towards the front unless F1 changes massively. I, I don't. I think this investment is good short term, and by short term I mean you know next two or three years. But then after that, I'm I'm not sure. I'm not as optimistic as, as well, some people. The, the change by F1 to sort of move away a bit from a B-team structure, I think, is what they're bringing in with 2022, which is the sliding yeah. scale of um, development. So if you finish 10th in the Constructors' Championship, you get the most um, wind tunnel time, development time, that kind of thing. Whereas if you finish first, you get the least. To sort of, And with budget caps as well, that's to keep a sort of accordion-style closure on the, on, the, um, on the grid in terms of development. And if a team like Williams is getting investment from a private investment company, um, then they'll be aiming to then get a sort of, based on a prediction of getting the best or second best um, development to then sort of jet, 
just catapult themselves further up. That's the sort of goal, mm. I think, with a sort of investment here. And that will then sort of inspire a bit more like, I think it would inspire more individual working from teams. Or maybe Possibly. you could also argue that it would say that teams would then work even closer together. Mm. Maximise yeah. wind tunnel time, but I'm not sure. Yeah, and, and as we were talking about, you know, Ferrari still get a load of money just for being Ferrari. I think mm. Mercedes must have negotiated something better financially for them because they were not willing to sign it. And then, you know, Red Bull have got Alpha Tauri. So the three big teams have still got a lot of, uh, lot of well, money, I guess. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, if, yeah, for Williams, it, it, it'll be interesting to see if, if they'll still need pay drivers and that, that kind of thing, you know, will, will they go out for all-out performance? Will Will Claire Williams remain as team principal? So, yeah, well, I think we'll, we'll find out, though, won't we? we? We will. I think it will be a sort of long-term plan, obviously. Mm. It'll be a bit like, I think, when Liberty came in and Bernie Eccleston was still around for a year and a half. Yeah. Well, about a year. And then... And then the Ross Perron, Sean Bratches, Chase Carey, Triumvirate took control. Three wise men. Yeah, we don't even have Sean Bratches anymore. <laughs> but yeah, it will be something like that, and it will be a long-term plan, and we won't really see any any um, rewards for the for the troubles in, in, until a couple of years down the line. Um, but yeah, that's fantastic news, and I think. We're all happy that there's a security for Williams. Williams oh, yeah, yeah. has got a soft spot in every Formula One fan's heart. Um, for Frank, for Sir Patrick, all of them who are involved in the back background of the team, involved in the uh, one, of, well, basically the currently still the third most successful in terms of wins, second most successful in yeah. terms of constructors championships and Incredible. drivers championships teams in in Formula One. Mm, yeah. So brilliant. It, it, yeah, it's it's the end of an era somewhat, but I think Williams is just such a historic team, and like I said, everyone loves them. I mean, look at the drivers they they've had: Mansell, Hill, you know, Senna. Of course, only for a couple of races, Prost, and you know, even more in the twenty first century, you know, Montoya on the yeah. fastest, Ralph Schumacher, drivers. Nico Rosberg, yeah, Massa, Bottas, George Russell, Lucas <laughs> Rockin. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, George Russell. Though he's mega. They, they, mm. I mean, if you want anything to say, if you want a way of proving that Williams is committed to fighting at the front, it was not keeping Sorokin and Kubica in a lineup. It was saying, you know what, Russell is mega. We want him. We're hiring him. Mm. We don't care. And this year, we're going to keep him. We're going to block anything that Toto Wolff's going to say. He's he's our boy. He's on a three-year contract, and he's doing it. Williams, that, that secures Williams' fight for me. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with that. And yeah, it would be, I mean, this is for another conversation, but mm. with 2022, they're probably going to lose Russell unless Williams somehow build an, an incredible car in the offseason or something. <laughs> so yeah, it'll be interesting to see who they bring in and stuff like that. But yeah, it, it's good that, you know, especially with the COVID. 19 pandemic and all the uncertainty they now have that certainty to stay on the grid for, for the, at least the short term hopefully the long term as well but mm-hmm. yeah it's f1 
it's so Williams is so important to F1. They've been around for what forty years, sometimes fifty, forty uh, years. Well, Frank Williams has been around for about fifty odd years in the sport, but Williams mm. as an entity, this one has been around 41, 42 yeah. years. Yeah, yeah. So they're they're an integral part of Formula One, and, and it's really good to see them still still on the grid, and hopefully they can oh, yeah. be on the grid in the in the long term as, as well. Mm-hmm. Completely, I completely agree with that. Um, another another thing that could be returning to Formula One, we've had lots of tracks come in this year. We've had um, Imola's come back, Nurburgring's come back. We've got Mugello popping up out of nowhere, and Algarve, Portimao, whatever you want to call it, pedant or not, uh, <laughs> that's that that's popped in too, and that looks set to be pretty decent. But another one that has raised a few eyebrows in terms of expectation is the rumours that Istanbul Park, the Turkish Grand Prix, could be returning to the Formula One calendar. Yes. How exciting. (laughs) Well, uh, 15th of November is the date that people are talking about. Good news. Uh, I don't know if I should let my political intelligence stop me, but Turkey hosting a full-on race, you know, I'm not, I'm one of them who's a bit, I don't really like that, but if you ignore that, the track itself, I still think it's great. Eh? Ignore Bahrain too then. (laughs) Yeah, well, yeah, I'm not going to talk about that, (laughs) but yeah, if it was me, I wouldn't race in Bahrain, Abu Dhabi, China and Russia, but yeah. Uh, I don't think many people would disagree. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, the, the track itself, would be really interesting because they haven't raced there for years. Mm-hmm. And in fact, there hasn't been much racing at all there. I think the last international event there would have been possibly the World Rally Cross in 2014 or 2015. I can't quite remember. Did they have some remember. cars? Or some TCR there? Uh, sure. Not that I know of. I don't okay. think they did. I don't think World Touring Cars have, I'm pretty sure. And Fair enough. Yeah, yeah so it would I, be. Rally cross then. Sure. The track I think was only used for like club stuff and national stuff. So yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what's happened. I would have thought they would have had to redo some of the track and that kind of thing, you know, modern it up, but it turns out not because if you know F one are gonna go there then the track must be in, in good good condition still. Yeah. I mean it's it's a it's a drivers and fan fan favourite really with the famous turn eight and with these cars, the downforce how much downforce they're producing. Well, it could even be flat out all the way through those left-handers, which would be insane. And yeah, I think there's a few people who are worried about overtaking, but Turkey does have a very long back straight, so I think overtaking will be no problem. Very long back straight. Very long back straight with then a hairpin, then a chicane that sort of opens up to the car who's just been overtaken to then come back into into a very tight turn one sort of, yeah. Right angle turn on quite a typical Tilker design that to sort of have it come back on itself, but it keeps racing all the way from sort of midway through the lap to the back to the start of the lap, yeah. which um, is very good. And we've seen it there in the past. The the sort of six or seven Grand Prix that were there really thrived on that. You had the McLarens dicing for the yeah. lead. You had the Rebels doing it too until they took each other out um, <laughs> in the twenty ten race. Yeah, which was a brilliant race. Um, really tense race uh, mm. but uh, I think talking about turn 8 I think it will be an easy flat 
turn eight. Yeah, it, but I it think won't be um, I think the first sector will be what really then opens up because those have been sort of half throttle corners, a bit of it. Some of them have been sort of lots of engine braking. That will sort of I think that will open itself up into quite a difficult section in these high downforce cars. And it's so wide as well, the whole track. See, that sector one, we could see some... That that could become an overtaking to Because if you think about Silverstone, turns three and four, you know, if you take more speed into turn yes. three, you can go down the entire of turn four. I reckon we could see some of that in the first sector because, because it is so wide. If you carry a bit more speed... Or a bit like um, or turn one and two at Cota, you can get a bit of a switch back down there yeah. as well you're lucky and that it's so wide you can get so many different racing lines through there that people can take different speeds through different corners but then come out in a similar lap time i think it's going to be it's i think it's one that's sort of shot right up to the top of of excitement for the majority of formula one fans mm, definitely i think out of all of the returning tracks turkey's the one i'm, I'm looking forward to the most i think it is going to be fantastic you know and yeah i, I really think i really think it's a it's probably the best tilka track i don't know if that's fair to say maybe, maybe malaysia I think malaysia's tilka yeah malaysia's, malaysia's tilka yeah yeah i think those two tracks are probably the two best tilka tracks i'd say yeah i do like kota um and i i was a little bit partial to the track in india as well the, the buddha international circuit that was a weird one, wasn't it? It got really tight, like in the yeah. middle, and they had that bank tight. I quite, I thought it was okay. I thought it was alright. Yeah. I think it had a. It could have had a lot more going for it, like oh, like all Tilka tracks. But yeah, this one, <laughs> Kota, Malaysia, they're, they're they're definitely. You can see the traits that work. Yeah. Um, but this isn't a chain bear video, so um, <laughs> we're not gonna <laughs> delve into that. Shout out. <laughs> yeah, he needs it. Yeah, um, it, it does. It looks like F1 is not going to go to Asia now. There was talk of Vietnam and Malaysia having back-to-back races, that kind of thing. But with Turkey, it's not been confirmed yet. But it lo- looks likely to happen on the fifteenth of November. I think we can expect uh, F1 to go straight to Abu Dhabi and Bahrain. It's just a question of whether they have two races in Bahrain. Will they use the outer layout? Will they race in the day for one race or the night for one race? I hope that happens. If they don't have to. Get- if they don't have the, what people call the oval, I hope they at least have different conditions or something. Yeah, it, it, those aren't... It, um, Middle East isn't really a place you can rely on weather fronts to shake it up so much. <laughs> um, like we potentially can in, I don't know, the Nürburgring in October. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think what I've seen is, yeah, they're going to do Turkey, then Bahrain, Bahrain, then an Abu Dhabi traditional finale as they've been citing it. Um, there were some there was some discussions about Hareth. Um, yes, I think that would be fantastic. I really like that track um, from a historical standpoint. But uh, I don't. I, I haven't seen anything recently. It seems to have fallen through a bit. Uh, I'm not a fan of Hareth. I'll be honest. I don't. I don't yeah. know why. Maybe it's just because I can't really overtake. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I mean, the longest straight is not even that long, is it? It's like it's a bit. It's a bit like having Budapest without the without the long home the straight. Water park. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, if they do go though, it, it, I think for me it's always nice to have new tracks or returning tracks that 
F1 hasn't been to for years just because it creates a different mm. challenge and, you know, having a challenge with the teams and the drivers. So even if they do go to Jerez, that would be nice. But I'd, I'd say I'm more excited about Turkey and Nürburgring and Mugello. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's um, the obligatory calendar talk that's still going on into, um, into the end of August. Yeah, we'll um, find out in, a, in the next couple of weeks because I think mm. they have to uh, say eight weeks before the date, like, well, the scheduled date. So we should okay. find out by the very latest, the middle of September, after these next three races at the very latest. One thing I will, I'll put to you, Nigel, Nigel Chu, is yes. how much do you think this year's um, eclectic calendar will be carried over into future seasons? That's an interesting... Well, it'll be really interesting what they do with next year's calendar, you know, the draft. Because really, you should have a provisional calendar by now, is that normal? They usually release it in September-ish, don't they? A provisional usually, 20. yeah, September. Yeah, so I think what they will do is they will have a similar calendar to what we was meant to have this year, but then they'll have a almost backup calendar. So yeah. if the if we go with the draft calendar that they have, I don't see too many of the returning or new races staying on, to be mm. honest. But I, I mean, with with seventeen or eighteen races this season, I think Liberty will will go. Oh, we can do twenty five races because look, we've fit, we've fitted seventeen in the space of what four more four or five months, which is ridiculous, yeah. quite frankly. So you know, twenty five races is now looking like it's possible. It probably won't happen this year. But out out of the out of the new and returning tracks. Won't happen this year. Yeah. Uh this year. Uh yeah, the new and returning tracks that are coming this year, I think only possibly two or three will stay. I reckon Imola and the Nurburgring are the most likely. But that's just complete guesswork. Well, what do you think? I'd have thought Portimao would have been one that would be likely to stay. There seems to be less of a fight in other in um in Portugal with other tracks, whereas Imola's obviously got mm-hmm. the Monza conundrum. Nurburgring and Hockenheim have their uh, sort of dual dual year contract. It seems to be twenty twenty one would be an on year for Hockenheim anyway. Yeah. So I don't know whether that's just meaning that Nürburgring and Hock would be able to take up its side of the bargain that's been going on for the ten years or so, which is which Nürburgring haven't been able to do. Um and do Nürburgring one year, Hockenheim the other. That's what I'd like to see. Mm. I'd like have. to see that. Yeah. Um we don't seem to normally don't seem to go out for um race more than one race in, in a country anymore, really. There, mm. there was, uh, unless there's a country who's just got a massive fandom, like you know the height of Alonso with Valencia and Barcelona, or the height of Schumacher with Hockenheim and Nurburgring, with the banner of European Grand Prix on both of them. Um, we haven't really got that anymore, unless we, I don't know, piggybacked off Hamilton and came to, I don't know, Donington, but um, <laughs> I think. I think you're right with Nürburgring and Imola being... Imola's just kind of flagship a bit for F1 still. You know, thinking yeah. about it now, if if 
I'm not sure if any of the returning races, or any of the new or returning races this year will be on the calendar. Just, I'm not sure. Maybe not immediately. Future. Maybe not immediately, but because they've got contracts to um to uphold, to uphold with yeah to fulfill with um with like Mexico and China and Vietnam places like that are going to need to be re-slotted mm-hmm. in because these places have been brought in to obviously replace them and take up the mantle with with worldwide races. You've got you got what Japan, Melbourne, China, Singapore. Uh, Mexico, Brazil, Cota, Canada, Vietnam. Um, Brazil. Well, you said Brazil. Yeah, <laughs> all of those. That's just completely... That's that's Mugello, Imola, Nürburgring, Portimao, Turkey, um, Silverstone 2, Austria 2. That's it. Then we're back to a normal calendar. So um, that kind of thing leads me to believe that F1 feels a bit safer if, say, the contract was with um, Paul Ricard isn't renewed, say, and then they can go to Portimao instead, that kind of thing. F1 yeah. has a few more backup tracks to go and negotiate deals with. They'll have had a, a, um, either a bargaining chip for each side with the track then, saying we hosted this and we did really well. We came in at your hour of need, Formula 1, and we were really nice to you. Give us a grunt. Yeah, that, that's what Spain was saying because I think you know there wasn't going to be a Spanish Grand Prix next year, of course, Alonso's returning return now. But Spain wanted to have a race this year, mm. you know, to show hey, we stepped in, to then you know, to guarantee a place for next year. And I think that's what the Barcelona, you know, uh, did. And Barcelona's one I can take or leave, frankly. <laughs> Same. Um, <laughs> a risk of going down that rabbit hole again. Um, we have a few more things to discuss in this podcast, and. Um, I think we're going to focus on the, the Finnish driver, Valtteri Bottas. Oh. To, to, I think, round off this, this um, sort of midweek medley. Yeah. Do you think, do you what, think what, he... Um, no. <laughs> sorry? What, what do you want to know? I said, sorry. Oh, <laughs> well, he, he, um, he said at the end of... Um, in the press conference after Barcelona, he was very dour. He was very upset basically, within himself. Uh, a few people likened it to sort of late 2018 Bottas, where he, he was at sort of the lowest of his career, I'd say. And he, he's a lot of the quotes have seemed to have said that he is feeling like this championship is slipping away already. And I think it's very early in the season to think that, but Hamilton's got such a hold. What do you think mm. Bottas, is my, what do you think his mindset's going to be going into the, the rest of the year? He can definitely stick it on pole position in mm. most races. He, he's shown you he's got the speed and stuff like that. It's, as we said before, it's just the race pace. He clearly, he, that's where his downfall is compared to Hamilton. That's for his mindset. You know, he's he's going to be looking to win every race. People are saying, oh, he he needs to be more like Rosberg and do the mind games and stuff like that. But I really. For me, when people say that about the 2016 season, I kind of dismiss it a bit because I really do think Rossman wasn't lucky, but he was fought a bit fortunate. I would say with yeah. with what happened because so much went wrong for Hamilton that year. But you know, Rosberg was able to put. I would say if 
if the same happened, if we had the 2016 season, you know, with Bottas as Hamilton's teammate, I think Bottas would win the championship like Rosberg. I don't, I don't think there's too much of a difference between them. So, you know, people saying, no, Bottas has to be more ruthless. I don't really agree. I think he just has to, uh, you know, maximise everything he can do, you know, whether that's a second or third, and just hope that Hamilton has suffers some bad luck, really. That's the only way I can see him winning the championship. I, I, all this talk of mind games, I don't really buy into that too much. Maybe you do, Freddie? I, um, I, I know I completely agree with what you're saying. Um, I think I think um, the mind games was only really there, only really sort of considered because Rosberg was just so so much more vocal, I think than Bottas really is as a person, as a character. Bottas is just a, you know, he's a calm guy. Mm. And Rosberg's not, really. He's a, he's a <laughs> bit more he's a bit more flamboyant with how he is. I mean, yeah, he's still got his Finnish streak in him with his dad, obviously, Ros- Nico Rosberg and Keki Rosberg. Um, but he's got the, the flair of someone who's grown up in Monaco uh, that will give him a bit more of that um, pervasive character that you'd expect from a, a racing driver at the top level, whereas Bottas is a lot more chill with it all. He, he, you know, he gets his, um, his hacking and influences, and you can see that a lot. And he, he does grab the opportunities. So when Hamilton um, got his grip penalty and got his race ruined in the first race of this year, Bottas soundly won that race. Yeah. And he, he, he could have picked up the pace at the end of the race and you know helped Hamilton a bit but you know he didn't really he just sort of you know he drove his own race and won it when he needed to and that was it and in um Silverstone 2 he took the he he got pole he that was a big sort of launch for Bottas in that for Hamilton it was similar lap time as last week but for Bottas that was a three or four tenth improvement so that's very good um and then he he was the prime fight with Verstappen for the, the whole race there I, and, until Verstappen won, until they, you know, contra strategied with Lewis. So I think Bottas is, if he does, be, you know, get into a championship fight, I think you're right. It's more of a championship fight by circumstance. Mm. Yeah. He's there to take it, but it mm. needs to come to him, whereas Hamilton's going to take it. Yeah. I, I, Ros, Rosberg was better in terms of racecraft. You know, with Hamilton, I will. Well, his racecraft wasn't actually that good, but he was willing to, you know, put it on the line. I don't think. Bottas, I think. I think Rosberg's racecraft is, is given. Um, it's more aggressive. It's more. It's aggressive. A lot of people think it's not amazing, and I think that's more Rosberg being more of a prost than, than, people give him credit for. Mm. I think being being a um, you know, I could go for this overtake. But I don't need to. I can get the point. Is the kind of sort of Rosberg I've always sort of seen. Mm. And when he needed to go for the move, particularly in Abu Dhabi, on the, he need he was told this move is race critical. So next lap he did it on Verstappen in his finale. I think if yeah. Bottas is told this is race critical, he you know he still has stuck behind Verstappen for the majority of the races this year. Yeah, uh, I I. I can agree with that. And we saw in Silverstone, the first Silverstone race, I think it was, Bottas got a better start than Alton, but then completely backed out of it. Yeah. Into turn one. I feel Rosberg, 
wouldn't have backed out of it and they would have gone side by side. I mean, those are the minor differences between them. But yeah, mm. to win the championship, it, I think it does have to be circumstantial. And, Bros- and Bottas, you know, I, I rate Bottas very highly. I, yeah. I feel many people don't, but we, we have to remember he's racing against Lewis Hamilton and he's, he's matching him pretty much in being qualified. Mm. And, and, and he's not, you know, he's not miles off in the race. Yes, he's not winning. But it's not like he's getting lapped like some other drivers compared to their teammates. Or, uh, so. Well, actually, here's a, here's a hypothesis. Uh, not hypothesis, mm. a hypothetical. A hypothetical <laughs> for you. Um, so the Mercedes is obviously a very driver-friendly car. The Red Bull we've seen is very tetchy, very twitchy, and you're alluding to Albon there. Um, if Bottas <laughs> was Verstappen's teammate, um, would he be as close to... Sorry, no. Yeah, he'd be, be closer. If if Bottas and Hamilton were in the Red Bull, would um, Bottas be like qualifying like he is in the Mercedes in comparison to Hamilton? Or do you think Bottas would not get on top of it as well as Hamilton would and would be similar to sort of Verstappen's gaps at his teammates and that kind of thing? What do you think with that? That's a really mishmash question, but I... No, no I get you. If Bottas and Hamilton were at Red Bull, what would they get? I think it'd be similar. You know, I think yeah. that's very highly I rating think, for Bottas. Then I think it'll be I a think bit, the talk a of the I think the talk of the Red Bull being unstable and stuff like that. It, it if it, if it was more stable, you know, Verstappen would be quicker himself. You know, Verstappen wouldn't stand still, and you know, Al, yes, Albon would be better, but so would Verstappen. So I, it's tough. It, it's tough. But I do think Bottas. Would still be very close to, to Hamilton. That's my say on that. <laughs> no, that's fair enough. Um, it's just yeah, we we all we all dream of you know a title fight like we had in 2016 with Rosberg, albeit as we've said, relatively circumstantial. But still, you know, he put himself there, and it went down to the final lap of the race in Abu Dhabi, and that was insane. I really enjoyed that. So, and and Rosberg mm. did still keep the pressure on. He was still winning races up until. But when he needed to, so um, yeah, I think even if people can say Hamilton got his engine failure in Malaysia from the lead, a race Rosberg was punted into at the start by Vettel and fought his way back up to what would have been fourth, but was third because yeah. of Hamilton's retirement. I think in the races to come, Rosberg I think would still have would have put up a fight that was entirely different to the fight that was put up in the races that did transpire. But anyway, I don't want. I don't want to get into a 2016 debate. Yeah, I know. So much went wrong for Hamilton. I've, I've, from memory, you know, qualified. I think he had to start at the back in Germany and Hungary. The start in Monza. The start in Japan. You know, he got awful starts. So Rosberg, everything went for Rosberg. I think he got a five second time penalty in Germany or something. That's the only bad thing that really happened. Yeah, it was double rebel podium after that. Yeah. Um... Yeah, yeah, we, we don't need to go into a 2016 um, season. Um, but, no, I mean, I think both of us would do quite happily. It was a very, I thought, a very decent season. Um, it was, yeah. Especially for a team that won 19 out of 21 races to give us such an interesting mm-hmm. season, I think. It says yeah. a lot about the Rosberg-Hamilton era. Um, so, yeah, that sort of wraps it up on the F1 for this, this week's little app. Um <laughs> We've got obviously Indy 500 
coming up tomorrow is the day we record this and you'll probably have listened listened to this after the Indy 500 most of you fans um, but yeah Nigel what do you think is going to happen in the Indy 500 oh that's Quick fire. Like, that's like asking me what's going to happen what, what are the lottery numbers going to be who, who Simon Pagino gonna... win from 25th well, he won from last in uh, one of the oval races a few weeks ago at uh, Iowa. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, and it's just the Indy 500. It's about staying out of trouble and making sure you get to the end in a good position, really. It's, it's unlike, it's not like F1 where you have to be at the front all the time. So, Even though it was one yeah. from pole last year. Yeah. True, but it was after an epic fight with Alexander Rossi. That's true. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, it, there's going to be some luck involved with safety car timing and strategy and that kind of thing. But it should be a good race. I think the Honda engines are looking better or stronger than the Chevrolet engines if you look at the starting order. So whether that will be an advantage, yeah. but you can't rule out uh, Penske with Joseph Newgarden and Paginot and, and Will, Will Power. So I expect them to come through the field. But I mean, Andretti getting pole, that is a surprise because I think he's he's last in the standings, if I remember correctly. <laughs> yeah, I think, he's, I think he's last. So it just shows you know, what a turnaround. And it was literally, I came out of nowhere. But yeah, it's going to be an exciting race, that's, that's for sure. And, and, yeah, it, I think for me, it, it's the biggest. I think it's bigger than than Le Mans personally. I think it's the biggest motorsport race in the world world now. But that's I, can only, I can only go on how hyped I get, and I get hyped more hyped for Le Mans than I do for Indy Five Hundred. Yeah, but I'm mm-hmm. e- equally for both races. I'm still very hyped, so mm-hmm. I'm very much looking forward to it. I'm very happy for Andretti to get pole, and I'm you know I'm kind of rooting for him. I don't think anyone else, anyone's not rooting for him because he's an Andretti. Um, and that's just, you know, the, the mystique with the Andretti name is fantastic. Um, I don't need to go into the Andretti curse, but that, um, but I mean, yeah, I think, I think it's going to be exciting because you've got Scott Dixon right there though. And you've yes. got, um, championship leader, championship leader, Scott Dixon. Yeah. Who's in, who's in, who else is in the front row? Front row. Uh, We've got Sato as third, I think, and okay. second is... Oh, I can't remember, Freddie. I'm going to have to look. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it's, it's Andretti, Dixon, Sato then. Yeah, um, yeah that's top three. Um, yeah. Rossi's ninth. We've got Redis VK really. and Alex oh, Palou yes. got into oh. the top line. They're both rookies. I think that's really exciting. Yeah, very. Um, I, I like Redis VK. I think he's a very good little driver. Um, mm. and he's only like 19 or something so yeah and Pillow as well he, he used to race in F2 I think a few few years ago he didn't do that well but it's good to see that he's <laughs> transitioned into he, he was really well. he was third in Super Formula last year ah oh, well there you go yeah. so um, that's one one he's done well in <laughs> um, yeah mm. anyway that's um, enough of Nigel and I just <laughs> randomly chatting about motorsport just quickly how, how well do you think Alonso's going to do or, or not well um, I reckon he'll keep his nose out of trouble and finish the race and that's it yeah that is, I mean the fact he's, he's never won an than... Indy 500 so <laughs> <laughs> never, never won never finished never finished <laughs> of course he's never won one <laughs> uh, the thing for me is that he's slower than his 
two rookie, well, rookie teammates to the Indy 500, uh, Patero Ward and Oliver Askew. And mm. that, for me, is not, not a good sign at all, at least, for, you know, for next year when he returns to F1, you know, has he actually lost this week? I thought he wouldn't. But to be behind, to be behind those two, uh, who are both rookies to the Indy 500, is not a great sign. But, yeah, I... I Agree. I think he'll stay out of trouble. Although he was the only driver to crash in practice, so yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Dixon did a tough spin. He didn't think that. Well, it wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't a wreck. He did. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, anyway, uh, we're getting really. Alonso's not not. Alonso's not going to win. Okay, we're getting into a very deep com- conversation here. Um, and we need to get out of it quick. So we're going to wrap up the podcast now, and we are going to tell you where you can find us. I think it's going to be Nigel's turn this week. Where can we? Where can we be found, Nigel? Oh, uh, I'm I'm not sure. Is it so? YouTube, obviously. Yeah. At the Wingy F1 podcast. Our Twitter is at Wingy F1. Acast is our podcast provider. And we are also available on iTunes and uh, iTunes and what else? I can't remember. Spotify. What's a, yeah. Spotify. There we go. Yeah. So I think that's everything. <laughs> and that is where you can find us. <laughs> yes, there we go. Cunningly <laughs> put by Nigel to, to help you figure it out for yourselves. Um, we are also working on Google Podcasts. We... The podcast does go there, but it goes there very late for some reason. So if you want to listen to it on an Android, listen to it in like two days after it's released. Um, but yeah, that's all we can really say. Um, today, I think, Nigel, any final words? Yes. Uh, no. No. And on that <laughs> note, goodbye, everybody. Have a good, have a good time. Take goodbye. care.